Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. Welcome to Top 5, a show where we count things down from number 5 all the way to number 1. This week, Top 5 Fantasy Flicks. I'm sure we've done some fantasy films in the past, but I couldn't see anything that was just specifically fantasy films. So this could be uh, something that goes in any direction. Matthew, why don't we start with you and your number 5? Well, okay. Here's the thing. Um, Whenever we have something like this, especially when it's film-related, I expect that I'm going to get yelled at by Steven uh, for not understanding the assignment. So, so what part of the, what part of fantasy flicks did you not understand? (laughs) Is it a film? Is it not a film? Okay. Now let me ask you a question. How do you define fantasy? Well, usually you don't have any science involved in it and it's Uh make-believe and usually involves some kind of fantastical elements. For example, would you say that Ghostbusters is a fantasy. Some people would. Uh, I think there's a little bit too much sci-fi in it myself, but some people do classify it as a fantasy film. Yeah, and you're always going to run into that people's definition of where fantasy ends and sci-fi begins is is pretty personal. Exactly, and that is why what I had to do was I had to literally go to the Wikipedia and I had to go to a list of films that Wikipedia categorized as fantasy for the last 157 years. So if anybody wants to yell at me, just, you know, know that it's on. I, I should note, Rodrigo, that this is from the guy who constantly is like, you can't trust anything from Wikipedia. Constantly. What? You do. Constantly. Every time I, every time I that's, talk that's about that, this definition is definition of the word constantly. Every time I mention Wikipedia, you're like, you can't trust anything on Wikipedia. Guys, I need to talk about Final Fantasy. Oh, so. okay. Yes. Uh, so Ghostbusters, Matthew's number five. Rodrigo, what is your number Incorrect. five? Incorrect. That was actually not my number five. It's just an I example. I in the middle of a sentence, but that's okay. My number five is The Green Mile. Rodrigo, go. Uh, my number five is, in fact, Final Fantasy VII Advent Children. Um, uh, Final Fantasy games are they are you know very fantastical games and they really nail down the fantasy they just don't understand what the word final means right. there's like <laughs> 17 of them, of them. yeah um so um uh, yeah it's like uh, they mean final as in latest i guess uh so advent children is a continuation of the story of final fantasy 7 it's a it's a cg a generated movie and it's very good and it is in fact so good that when the people in charge of the final fantasy video game series saw it it warped their brains it just destroyed them and they were like we want our games to be more like this movie from here on out and have since been trying very hard to turn like basically the mother of menu based 
uh, RPG adventures into like this rollicking, rolling around, swinging at enemies all over the place action game to, I would say, very mixed results. Um, there are there have been Final Fantasy games that come out and I'm like, nope, this doesn't have enough menus for me or this mixes menus and action in a way that I don't like, so I'm not playing it. And it's all Final Fantasy VII's fault, which I also recognize is very good, but uh, it's so good that it, in fact, kind of knocked us out of course, I would say, uh, for the past, uh, I don't know when it came out, like 20 years ago? Oh, something like that. I saw it when I was still in California, so yeah. easily 20 years ago. Yeah. Very cool. I remember seeing that uh, we went to the theater because it was uh, one of the first digitally projected films. Yeah. And uh, looked fine to me. But it, uh, my uh, nerd friend uh, was like, oh, no, you could see all the artifact. And I'm like, nah, you couldn't. Everybody else is fine. Sure. So, yeah. Uh, OK. My number five definitely has things that you're going to find in a fantasy. It has an evil villain. It has a princess. It has the poor farm boy that's seeking great adventure. It's got a, a wizard in it. It's got all the trappings of everything that you're going to find in a uh, fantasy film, including sword fights. And that is why Star Wars is my number five fantasy flick. I know a lot of people are like, oh, come on, man, that's sci-fi. No, it's not. It's firmly a fantasy film. And if you don't understand that at this stage of the game, I don't know what to tell you. But definitely it's a fantasy film. Definitely a very good fantasy film. Uh, as in it follows all of those trappings that you find. Uh, but uh, there you go. There's my number five. Matthew, what do you have for your number four? Well, uh, uh, no, uh, my number four. <laughs> Sorry, that right there was all of my trepidations about this entire category in one sentence. Well, there you my go. number four is a brand new movie, actually. Well, brand new for me. I go to the movies about twice a year, but it's one that I ended up seeing uh, digitally uh, during the recent and probably ongoing unpleasantness. And it's actually a sequel to a film that I loved when I was in college. But uh, my number four is The Craft Legacy, uh, sometimes known as Bloomhouse's The Craft Legacy, which I'm not sure who Bloomhouse is, but apparently they make every third movie right now. Um, but the craft legacy starts out looking like, uh, you know, your launch boot, your vamp launch flamber, where they're starting a whole new continuity. And it's basically four girls who practice uh, the movie version of Wicca. And then they go off and they have adventures and each of them has weird little powers. But there are a couple of twists in here that I think are absolutely wonderful. And even though the film is not particularly successful as kind of an adventure movie it's really successful in making me appreciate the characters of the film uh, especially uh david duchovny as our protagonist's evil stepfather throughout the movie he goes from sternly evil to like affable to maybe crazy and then of course there's some stuff at the end that kind of changes the whole game but if you haven't seen it I do recommend it just because the uh, four young women who play the main characters are incredible. They're really, really charismatic and it's fun to watch, even though the ending kind of falls apart. But, you know, I'm a Stephen King fan. I can deal with that. All right. Rodrigo, what do you have for your number four? Uh, first, can I say that uh, Bloomhouse, uh, Bloomhouse's The Craft Legacy mm -hmm. sounds like... Uh, the best thing a microbrewery may have on offer <laughs> that or uh 
you know, the, uh, the new deli selection at your uh, local, uh, Walmart. Yep. Oh yeah. That, that craft legacy, you got to get it thin sliced. Yeah. 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 Have it with a little bit of cheese, some garlic. It's great. Well, all right. So, so my number three, wait, where are we at? We're four. at four. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Four, four, four. Uh, my number four, um, I, I think might be controversially a, a fantasy movie. Um, but I would uh, I, I would say that um, even though the movies that lead to it, um, and there's a lot of movies that lead to it, um, take place largely in quote unquote the real world and have a, really a, a a majority of like sci-fi elements. Um, this arm of the Marvel Cinematic Universe has always been firmly rooted in really Norse mythology, which is where a lot of our modern fantasy comes from. Um, and so uh, my number four is Thor Ragnarok, which I would say out of all the Thor movies is the most out there. Like it basically has like zero contact with the real world. Um, it just stays in like some weird planet and it just kind of bounces around in there and stuff. Um and then at the end, everybody flies off into the stars like, uh, um, I don't know, Xanadu? That happened in Xanadu? Well, we'll just say like everybody flies off into the stars like uh, Danny and uh, and his girlfriend at the end of Greece. Yeah, um, yeah. So, yeah, I, you know, obviously there's like superheroes in this, mm-hmm. uh, but, you know, there's a lot of swords and 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 magic that is, or or technology that is so advanced as to be indistinguishable blah 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 um yeah i think that um the the real strength of the marvel universe uh, or, or the mcu is that it can do stuff like this that as long as you're not directly seeing iron man in frame you can do a lot of other stuff um but you know by the end of it iron man was transforming into iron man power ranger style so it's not like it even matters so my number four thor ragnarok all right cool thank you that's that's a very good one uh okay my number four is a movie that is just all about uh fantasy it's got uh, a major quest it's got a young boy yearning for adventure it's got elves it's got uh, unicorns it's got dragons it's got uh, sprites that are all over the place. It's even got a manticore. It is a uh, Pixar's Onward that came out in I want to say 2020, uh, mid 2020, um, uh, during the during the lockdown. And I got to tell you, it is a solid movie. I know a lot of people might say, "Oh, Pixar needs to stick to what Pixar does best." This is a story that I think that Pixar does best, and with the Huge popularity in RPG games, uh, taking that fantasy mm-hmm. idea that you get in your RPGs and throwing it into more modern times and say, hey, what if your fantasy world evolved differently? Would it really be that different than what you know in your fantasy films? And yes, there's a car, but there's also uh, uh, what are those half man, uh, half uh, horse peoples? The Centaur? uh, the min- the minotaurs, uh, centaurs, centaurs, minotaurs, whatever they are, running around. Minotaurs are like the bottom of a man and the top of a bull, I think. Yeah, and so uh, yeah, the centaurs uh, are in there. So it's really cool, and and really, what does it mean to be magical, and what does it mean to have these these quests uh, uh, put upon you as these brothers try to find this crystal to spend one more day with their with their uh, deceased father, and is really good, and it really shows uh you know 
how brothers should interact with one another and be kind to one another and love one another. And it's like one of those films that after we done, we were done watching it as a family, I was like, man, uh, the boy and the sidekick, there's something valuable that can be learned from this movie. And they both rolled their eyes and said, we should learn to watch it again. And so we did. So onward, my number four, uh, fantasy flick. So there you go. Uh, Matthew, what do you have for your number three? My number three, it's interesting that Rodrigo has Thor Ragnarok because and I don't know if it's just because I come from comic books. I did not in my head feel like any superhero movies really counted as fantasy necessarily. But there is one movie that is superhero adjacent that is absolutely to me a fantasy movie, even if you have to give it the urban fantasy and that is 1994's the crow uh my number three movie it's a huge touchstone for people my age because you know when you're in your early 20s and you're like hey these things are going on and here's this whole thing that honestly kind of created uh much of the emo subculture uh that we know today and then of course it has that emotional moment at the end where in story this great moment is happening and then in the real world, of course, the main character was tragically killed during the film, which gives it, I don't know, maybe a different sort of emotional resonance for those of us who were like, hey, I was looking forward to this movie. This talented young actor died. And now I'm like, this is this is like the last thing. This is East of Eden for Generation X in a lot of ways. And so if you sit and you watch this film, first of all, I feel like you may you may sniffle and tear up a little bit. There are points in this film that are just, in, in terms of a, again, quasi-superhero movie, this is in that era where you couldn't do Iron Man yet. You had to find somebody who wasn't quite a superhero because the world wasn't ready for Spider-Man, so we had to have Billy Zane as the Phantom. But you have that moment where the character has superpowers but is also very human, you have a whole quest thing going on and you have the magical moment where, you know, guns don't work that way. They never have neither do swords, but by the time you get to the end, you know, he's banished the evil guy and the evil dragon is fallen. And then he can go on to his just reward with his angel girlfriend who takes him into, I don't know, heaven, Valhalla, whatever you want to call it. I uh, hope I didn't spoil anything there for a 35 year old movie. Anyway, regardless, if you have not seen the crow, I recommend as soon as you get done with this episode, just go check it out. It's probably streaming somewhere. Go check it out. Sit, watch, enjoy it. Let it wash over you. And then when you're done, I feel like you'll either be a changed person or a known enemy of joy. Okay. Uh, Rodrigo, what do you have for your number three? Known enemy of joy and joy division. <laughs> um, my number three is, I think, uh, unequivocally a fantasy movie not not a lot of controversy to this one um and that is the never-ending story oh yeah that's a good one i had, I that, on, like, I had that on my alternates list yeah um i've talked about the never-ending story before uh, mainly that as a kid i was terrified of gamork the mm -hmm. the wolf mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um uh, the big wolf monster that shows up pretty close to the end he, you know he's he's not in it for very long um and uh so i was always kind of fascinated by this movie because it had both that scary wolf and it had falcor who was basically a big giant dog that you can fly around on um and i was uh i was just very 
thoroughly uh, like uh, fascinated by by that prospect. Um, I, we watched it a few years ago. I watched it with my wife, and she had never seen it before, but she liked it. Um, and I watched it, and it you know I, I feel like it holds up. It's you know a very very much like a you know kid like is starting to grow up. Feels like he doesn't fit in, and this fantastic story kind of um it it sort of mirrors rather than being like what happens in the story is a metaphor for what you're going through even though it is it's really more like what happens in the story is like emotionally resonant to what it feels like to to sort of go through this period in your life where where you're a kid and you don't have a lot to hang on to um so yeah never ending story man watch it it's good times i have i've we sat down and had the boys watch it and one of them was like, this is boring. I'm out of here. Uh, sure. and the other one was like when, uh, spoiler alert, everybody, when, uh, Artax, uh, mm-hmm. meets his end in the, uh, what is it? The swamps of misery or whatever. Yeah. Uh, something like that. He was like, they killed the horse. This movie's horrible. And then he yeah. also left before the movie was over. So there he, wow. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So I could never get them into never ending story at all, but they enjoyed onward, yeah. which has the, uh, 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 cut in half father walking around for half the film. So, you know, <laughs> yeah, it's all, it depends on how you're chopped in half. Yeah. yeah I don't think I've ever pacing. seen the never ending story, uh, for one very good reason. And it's Gilbert Gottfried, uh, back in the, in the day when the movie came out, Gilbert Gottfried was doing stand up, and he has a joke that goes, if the first one never ended, how can there be a never-ending story too? Mm-hmm. And I laughed at that. And, you know, being a callow young youth, I said, this is enough reason not to see the film for me. Oh, you're missing out. It's a and crazy Just, just never, never reassess that part of your personality comes from a stand-up routine. That, yeah. that actually... <laughs> no, I, I mean, I'm not, even, I'm not even bagging on you, Matthew. I think that happens to a lot of people. <laughs> they're like, oh, I, they're like, hey, have you ever tried this? And you're, they're like, no. Don't you know? Blah blah blah, and it's like, yeah, that's a joke from the '90s. That's that's not really <laughs> true. You should just watch this, or or eat this, or try it, or whatever. Yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, so my number three uh, has all the trappings of a fantasy film. Right? It's got a wizard. It's got a barbarian. It's got uh, a camel. It's got a giant snake in it. Uh, mm-hmm. It's got good versus evil, final battles, lots of blood and guts. Maybe a few boobies if you uh, uh, will pay attention. I am, of course, talking about the uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger classic Conan the Barbarian from whatever year that I, that came out, 82 or whatever. Um, just when it comes to I know they remade uh, Conan with uh, Jason Momoa. That film isn't horrible. It is poorly arranged and could use another pass in the writing stage, but it isn't yeah. horrible. But I really think that Conan the Barbarian is a really solid story when it comes to how do we adapt um, uh, uh, Howard's Howard's work into into film, and I think with Arnold Schwarzenegger, somebody who doesn't who at the time still had a very heavy accent, I think his the few words that he uses in the film are used to great effect. Uh, also, it's got that great eighties vibe where it's part you know, practical effects and very, very early special effects that just make it look, make it look like it's a product of its time. And I think it still holds up in that sense. So, uh, Conan, the barbarian, my number three, if you haven't seen that one, 
you do need to stop what you're doing and uh, and go check that one out because it, it's just great. All right, we have moved up to our number twos. Uh, Matthew, what do you have for your number two? My number two, I think, is unequivocally a fantasy film and that it has a wizard and a, and a bad guy and a young hero and maybe some boobies. Um, but here's the thing. All of it is remarkable and, and really, really well done and animated, but also a little bit embarrassing. And yet still 40 years later, I can't stop talking about 1981's heavy metal. Mm-hmm. Um, heavy metal is hard to describe. It, it's sort of just this anthology movie about uh, a, a basically this uh, evil thing that is the source of all evil in the universe. And then seven or eight different animation houses did seven or eight different things and they kind of stitched them together. But I think that the best part of it for me is just that the voice cast includes, you know, John Candy, Eugene Levy, Harold Ramis, um, Squidward, everybody in this uh, movie in the, in the voice area is somebody and if you actually go back and just look at the work, it does vary from pretty okay to, oh my God, this is gorgeous. And it does have those moments where why, why, oh, why won't they put a top on this poor woman? But it also has moments where even now you get the goosebumps. You know, I can think about the music in the final sequence and get the goosebumps. And I have a, an 18 year old child. We first watched this movie right about the time that they first said the F word in front of me. Um, and I felt like, yes, the child is ready. You let a four year old watch heavy metal. (laughs) (laughs) I said, my child, not yours. Um, but the thing that's really wonderful about it is even with those problems. And this, by the way, is a kid who will point these things out to me. So if there's problems, you know, with representation, if there's problems with misogyny, if there's problems with racism, they will say to me, this is not good and we're not going to watch any more of it, which is why, you know, they've never seen all of Blazing Saddles. They've never seen all of MASH, but they have seen all of Heavy Metal multiple times because the film is ultimately more than the sum of its parts especially when you, you know, you get to the last 30 minutes or so, but if you haven't seen it, I'm not going to tell you you're missing anything because this is a film that I don't think is really for everybody. And I think it will turn people off, but I feel like if you're a voice nerd or an animation nerd, or just a, a general nerd, it might be worth checking out. I don't know if it's streaming anywhere. I imagine it's not. I see it on Cinemax every four years or so. All right, there you go. Uh, Rodrigo, what do you have for your number two? Uh, my number two is a movie that is based on a comic that I really like. Um, it is, in fact, ostensibly urban fantasy, uh, technically, but really modern fantasy, I guess. Um, and, and that's the, uh, specifically the 2004 Hellboy. Mm-hmm. Um, so the 2004 Hellboy is a really remarkable movie. Because if you look at any given character, Hellboy, uh, Liz, Abe, um, maybe not Professor Broom, but like a lot of the, the main characters that we follow, uh, that version of the character is actually pretty different from the comic book. Um, but Hellboy, the movie, did this thing where it 
sort of decenters Hellboy a little bit and basically gives us a um, normal person main character to be like, "Whoa, we all this stuff is very strange." Uh, along with us, um, and then that kind of allows uh, again Hellboy and Abe and Liz to be weirder and to kind of have more interesting stuff going on since we don't have to it's like we empathize with them as we go, but we don't have to start the movie empathizing with them, we just kind of get there um, and it's something that I don't think any other Hellboy movie has managed to pull off, a lot of people do mm-hmm. like Hellboy 2, The Golden Army, but I didn't, uh, even though it had, you know, cool characters that I like from the comics. Like it's got the I goblin just, market in it. Yeah. It's got the goblin market. It's got that, uh, oh, now I forget his name is that guy who's just like a, a smoke ghost oh, in yeah. a suit. Yeah. Yeah. It's fun times. Right. Um, but you know, it, it, it just kind of, it, it, it just wasn't doing it for me. And I haven't seen the entirety of the new Hellboy movie, but I hear it also kind of didn't didn't uh, didn't do all that well. It didn't so, do all that well, but like a, Keurig or something. Yeah, he's a uh, he's the German uh, ghost that inhabits that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. As far as the new Hellboy movie goes, it is not great, but it's probably the one that is the most most faithful to the comic books, which yeah, is, is I, odd to say. And it's like you know, you look at Hellboy. I mean, Hellboy is like Guillermo del Toro joint and he like mike mignola was involved in this movie um Mm -hmm. and i i feel like they did a good job of being like what if we take these characters and these themes and sort of remix everything so that it makes sense in a movie Mm -hmm. right which is like if you make a movie that's more faithful than that to the comics it it's not going to come out that well. It you know like it's just going to have other problems that because certain things don't translate well to the to the to the silver screen. Yeah. Um. But I don't know. Hellboy did it, and Hellboy did it a long time before you know like superhero movies really became a thing. Mm-hmm. So for a little while, all we could all we could rub our faces up against were like Hellboy and Mystery Men. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Until uh, until the advent of the uh, Marvel Cinematic Universe. Yep. Cool. All right. My number two has uh, all the trappings of a fantasy flick. It's got a poor boy who uh, yearns for more. It's got a beautiful princess that he falls in love with. And it's got a dastardly evil wizard that wants to take it all away. Fortunately, the boy finds a magic lamp. And when you rub it, a wise cracking genie pops out. We'll grant you three wishes. I'm talking about Disney's animated Aladdin, not the remake with uh, with uh, the live action actors in it. Uh, I fell in love with this movie even before I saw it. I had the soundtrack. Uh, the soundtrack had come out probably two or three weeks before the movie debuted. And I had it and I was listening to all the songs. I went down to Wichita with a friend and we went and saw it in a theater uh, when it came back and we went into the holiday break. Uh, the, one of the local theaters in town, um, had an afternoon movie matinee where the tickets were really cheap, but they did it so that, uh, parents would have something to take their kids to during the holiday. And I think I went and saw Aladdin every single day for a week straight, uh, for like a $2 ticket in the afternoon. And it was great. Uh, Aladdin, I think there are some problematic parts in it today. Um, uh, 
but I think it still holds up as a fun story, as a story that's full of really great music and some really great animation and a chance to let Robin Williams just go crazy as the genie. So my number two fantasy flick is Aladdin. All right. We have reached the top of our list. Matthew, what do you have for your number one fantasy flick? Top of the list. Top of the heap. The very top movie. A movie that I've seen literally a hundred times. And I say literally meaning literally and not how literally now means figuratively. Because at one point I didn't have cable and my wife couldn't sleep without noise in the house. So we would put on our VHS copy of Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Uh, This is the 1971 version, not the remake with, uh, what's his name? Um, the thing that I really love about this film is the fact that it traumatized us when we were children, because for some reason they used to play it every Easter and every Easter I would watch this and I would just be horrified at the little orange faced people and the freaky deaky sequence on the boat and all of the terrible, terrible fates that befell the children. And you know, they're dead. I mean, they don't say they're dead, but they're they're probably dead. I mean. Seriously, Augustus was underwater for a good four minutes, so he may not he may not be dead, but but it's one of those films that I, if it's on, I watch it. And my coworkers know this because I have control of the remote at work since uh, my desk is the one that has the closest position to the TV. If it's on, we watch Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Um, now the good news is that over the last couple of years, a lot of people have quit. So not everybody knows this and makes fun of me the way they used to. But if you want to see Gene Wilder at his very, very best, this is the movie that you watch right after you watch Blazing Saddles, because this is just a really, really wonderful, clever movie. It is not necessarily a kid's movie, but I feel like kids aren't going to get the horribleness of it. You know, when you get to the very end and he's like, now you have a factory. And oh, by the way, OSHA called. Um, But you get to a point in the film where anybody can be drawn into it. And I feel like even adults, I remember my grandmother watching this movie with us. And my grandmother was not a whimsical woman. You know, she, she was sweet. She was kind, but she was not a flights of fancy type of person. And so, you know, having her sit and watch Grandpa Joe and, going through the whole thing is just one of those moments of my childhood that I remember. And then of course there's, you know, the joke about how you have to save your life by burping, which children find really, really funny. So Mm -hmm. if you haven't seen Willy Wonka and the chocolate factory, you should, if you have seen the one with Johnny Depp, um, I believe that the eternal sunshine of the spotless mind people will be coming around on the third of the month and they'll be happy to erase that from your mind. If you haven't read the book, Matthew, you really should, because it tells you uh, what happened to all the children. I think Mike TV ends up becoming a basketball star. Uh, <laughs> Augustus Gloop uh, is thin as a whistle. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, Violet is now this not a blueberry color, but a deep, deep purple color that will make <laughs> her the envy of all of the fashionistas. And I forget what happened to the oh, the the others come out in garbage. But, you know. That's what you get yeah. when you're part of the one percent and think you're I you get anything. I've you actually want. read that and the sequel. I used to have nightmares about the, the great kids glass the elevator. elevator. Yeah, my youngest son loves Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. He enjoyed the um, Great Glass Elevator, but then there isn't there another one where they go to. It's not a third uh, Wonka book. Isn't there one where they? I want to say they go to a different planet. That's not the Great Glass Elevator one. 
But there's another one that's kind of spacey um, that um, uh, uh, the author wrote, and I'm forgetting his name off the top of my head. Roald Dahl. Yeah, and uh, he is he was creeped out by that book that he didn't finish it. So, <laughs> yeah. It's probably the kids, man. Those kids. Yeah, it, but do that's not, not a great. Do not, do not Google kids. They yeah, that's, that's the great glass elevator, though. So I know he's read that one and enjoyed that one a lot. So, Rodrigo, what do you have for your number one? My number one is probably to be expected. Um, I uh, I'm a big fan of uh, Japanese animation, Studio Ghibli stuff uh, in particular, and the movie that kind of got me into it was Princess Mononoke. So that was my number mm-hmm. one, Princess Mononoke. Um, yeah. I I didn't realize after watching it that. It's somewhat. I mean, I, I, I guess I don't. I don't want to say that it's uh, that it's an unusual. It's like it's an unusual Ghibli film because of how violent it is. Yeah. Um, there are there is a lot of very graphic violence in this movie. People get stabbed. People get their arms chopped off. People um, get shot. Um, and you see blood and other bodily goops and stuff um and it i didn't realize it but it's unusual because most other ghibli films are not like that if you start trying to figure out what they are all like it all breaks down right there's things about spirit away that it has more in common with princess mononoke than it does with kiki's delivery service and so on and so forth right you're you're not gonna it's hard to pin it down because they kind of take on these individual projects and make um, you know, a lot of decisions that are right for the project, even if it doesn't necessarily follow a particular style. Um, but yeah, Princess Mononoke just blew my mind uh, when I when I first saw it, probably as a teenager. Um, you know, I had seen like Ninja Scroll, I had seen oh, yeah. um, Vampire Hunter D, Bloodlust. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, all all pretty good movies. Uh, but you now there's just something about Princess Mononoke, and I think part of it is that it's so bright. There's something about it that is like, even though all of this scary and dangerous and and bad stuff is happening, there's like this like extremely vivid like brightness to it, and you know that's just it's good. Very very cool. All right, uh, my number one has all of the trappings of a fantasy film. It's got elves, it's got wizards, it's got a quest, it's got an evil overlord uh, trying to stop the quest at every turn. It is probably the longest uh, grouping of movies that you will ever watch in one sitting. And I know that there's at least uh, one person in our listening uh, circle who definitely does this, I think, once a year, if I'm not mistaken. I am talking about the Lord of the Rings trilogy based on the J.R.R. Tolkien classic of course, I'm t- I mean, Fellowship of the Rings, uh, The Two Towers, and The Return of the King. It's, I mean, honestly, all of our RPG stuff is based on Tolkien. Uh, all of our, you know, kind of our modern uh, fantasy ideas come from what yeah. Tolkien was writing in his books. And so it seems fitting that we should have the, the Rings trilogy there at the top of my fantasy flick list. And don't you watch it every year, Rodrigo, if I'm not mistaken? Don't you and your wife sit down and watch this every year? Yeah, it's uh, it has become our Thanksgiving tradition to put it on 
and just have all all three of the uh, like the extended editions the extended or whatever editions, that's called. Yeah. Yeah. Um and that that'll get you basically through the entire uh holiday. Um you just put it on in the morning and it's just on. So at any point we can just sit down and watch it or whatever. It's like everything stops for Helm's Deep, you know, and mm-hmm. just sit down and watch that. Um we didn't get to do it last year because uh our uh we had we had moved and our old neighbors uh wanted to see us again for some reason. <laughs> um and so they invited us over for Thanksgiving. So, um, you know, it's, I mean, it's, it's still a tradition that's there, but actually just a few days ago, my wife was like, I feel like we haven't watched the Lord of the Rings in a very long time. And so I, you know, I reminded her that we hadn't seen it in at least a year or in more than a year. Um, she's like, well, I guess we might as well just put on Helm's Deep. And so we did, we just like (laughs) for like basically the hour that it takes, um, to, to watch the, the battle of Helm's Deep from the beginning to, to the end of it. Yeah. Um, that's just kind of what we did for the like that night yeah very cool the last time i did the extended trilogy back to back to back uh the boy was watching it with me and by the third film he was like can we just make it stop how long does this go on (laughs) because i think it's like it feels like it's like gotta be 16 18 hours something like that if you watch them all three films times three is nine and so yeah you're probably looking at 12 13 hours for for all of them together and i was like nope we're gonna sit here and watch them all Back to back, nonstop, get comfortable. Uh, and that was like five or six years ago, and we haven't watched it since. So it's probably time to sit down and watch that again. Get the youngest one involved. I bet he would enjoy that stuff. Anyway, those are our top five fantasy flicks. What do you have on your list? I know where you can do. Uh, you can go over to our Discord server. There's a link in the show notes. You can join for free. You can get into the top five channel, and you can share your list of top five fantasy flicks and other people will share their lists and everyone will read each other's lists. Why? Because everybody loves a list. We'll see you again very soon. This podcast is copyright 2022 by major spoilers, entertainment LLC. The drive to go further and reach higher. The same thing that inspires you, inspires us. At Strayer University, we're always searching for new ways to make education more affordable. That's why we offer access to up to 10 no-cost gen ed courses to help you save time and money so you can keep striving. Visit Strayer.edu to learn more. No-cost gen ed provided by Strayer University affiliates of Field Learning. Eligibility rules apply. Connect with us for details. Strayer University is certified to operate in Virginia by CHEF. For the ones who get it done, the most important part is the one you need now. And the best partner is the one who can deliver. That's why millions of maintenance and repair pros trust Granger, Because we have professional-grade supplies for every industry, even hard-to-find products. And we have same-day pickup and next-day delivery on most orders. But most importantly, we have an unwavering commitment to help keep you up and running. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.